Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is breaking down the NBA trade deadline. And there was so much that happened, but we're going to talk about some of the biggest trades that happened throughout the trade deadline. But we could not do this episode alone. And yes, we are back at it again with a guest today here on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Please welcome back to the pod, Lauren Gunn. Thank you guys for having me back. I uh, I feel like every time we get talking, we just keep going because we can't stop. So I am very glad to to be back, to be chatting with you guys. And there is no shortage of of content here. So I'm, I'm very excited to pick it all apart with you guys. Lauren, it has been a while since we've caught mm-hmm. up with you. So you've done a lot recently. You've you had a lot of stuff going on with your career, but you mm-hmm. also celebrated your birthday. Happy birthday, Lauren. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys. But uh, what else has been going on with you? Yeah, so I have been super busy between work, between covering the Mavs games. Um, this is my first season doing it in person, so that's kind of been fun. Um, getting to see it from a media perspective and, and go in there and um, – I don't know just take it all in talk to people i it's weird because i so like a lot of the games i leave and i get there this the second that i know like the two-way guys that the second the two-way guys are out there doing their workouts like i try to be in there and so there's when i go in there there is not a single person in the gym and like it slowly starts filling up with more and more media people but i love that when i get there it is empty except for the ball boys the staff the coaches and the players and so that has really paid off for me because I've been able to kind of build some relationships with um, some of the coach, the coaches more so than the players. Cause they're out there the whole time. And then the players will just, you know, they're in their mode, whatever, but some players are kind of, I don't know, more talkative. Others are locked in. And so I've enjoyed that experience and kind of getting to see, take a peek, like kind of behind the curtain, what's going on and, and learn from there. I sat down with um, coach Peter Patton for uh, Dallas, obviously. And he, uh, we were kind of talking about, these workout routines, what goes into them, like what goes into like when you, maybe when you get a new player or like whatever is going on, how, like what goes into setting up those routines and just hearing what goes on behind the scenes. And he gave me just a lot of good insight and it was a really good conversation. So I've enjoyed having that opportunity and um, getting to build those relationships has definitely been a big thing for me. That's awesome. That's actually, that's great to hear. And uh man, we got a lot to talk about these trades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we should waste any more time. I mean, we're I going know. to get into uh, James Harden, uh, his deal to the 76ers, Karis LeVert in the, uh, with the Cavs, Tyrese to the Tyrese Halliburton to the Pacers, CJ McCollum to the Pelicans. And last but not least, this trade between the Wizards and the Mavericks. <laughs> and I know Jalen and Lauren, you will have a lot to say about that. But Jalen, let's kick it off with the first trade. Yeah, so, I mean, the first one, the big one, right, in terms of, well, actually, you know what, let's preference this first, because, Lauren, we haven't really gotten your perspective on it. We've been on a mm-hmm. million podcasts in the last couple of days, and we've shared mm-hmm. our thoughts a little bit, but, like, just initial thoughts from the trade deadline in general, right? I mean, there was a lot mm-hmm. of guys who did get moved, a lot of guys who didn't get moved, a lot of teams who were a lot quieter than I think they led us to believe coming into mm-hmm. this week. So, just your initial thoughts from the trade deadline to begin with. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy because I was seeing other people's reactions and they were like, man, this trade deadline was awesome. And 
for me, obviously mixed emotions with your, with my team's trade being a big one, but like, I felt like there were so, like you said, there were so many teams that kind of maybe hyped it up like they were going to be mega sellers and didn't make one move. And like I was looking at New York, Atlanta, Orlando, and I mean, okay, Portland did a lot. So let me not say that. But there were some teams that I was like, I was fully expecting these guys to get moved and they just didn't. And so, you know, I wasn't totally surprised that I guess Milwaukee made a move, but it wasn't huge. Like Golden State stood pat. Uh, like I, those weren't surprising, but there were definitely some moves. Like a PJ Washington from Charlotte is another is like a perfect example of something that I was like, you can book that happening. Like that's gonna happen, and it just didn't. And so I was a little surprised and kind of disappointed because going up to the final day, I was like, the James Harden deal is happening. I don't care if. Like, I'm more of a Woj girl than I am a Windhorse girl. So, like, I wasn't, I'm never one to be like, Windhorse is, he's on it versus, versus Woj. Like, you, Woj is a very powerful man. Um, but when they were, when it was kind of going back and forth between, there's no conversation being had with, between James Harden and Philadelphia and Brooklyn and all that. I was like, I'm sorry, I don't buy that for a second. There is zero chance that they are on, an, at that time, an eight game losing streak. And Daryl Morey is watching this Ben Simmons situation and they're not talking at all. Like, I'm not saying it's a 100%, even though I felt there was no way a deal didn't get done. But to say that they're not talking at all, I was like, there's just no way. So most of the deadline for me was like waiting on that to happen. And I didn't feel as confident that the Russell Westbrook thing would happen. I'm really disappointed that it didn't because I thought it would be hilarious. But, you know, it didn't happen. Um, But after that, I was like, well... Now what? Like, I mean, I'm kind of, I mean, none of these other smaller moves are happening, happening. And I thought it would have, I mean, Mo Bamba, like I thought there were so many names that would just get floated around and they just didn't. So I hate to say like, personally, I was a little disappointed because I feel like that's an unpopular opinion, but yeah, I kind of was, I was kind of disappointed. I mean, I can't be mad at you. I mean, if we go across the league, right, we'll start over in the Eastern Conference, right? John Collins was a big name at the trade deadline as somebody who was disgruntled about his role, his fit on Atlanta. Obviously, mm-hmm. Jeremy Grant not getting moved as, like, the biggest name in all yeah. of this stuff. That was mm-hmm. insane by itself. And, I mean, even if you keep going further along, I mean, obviously, the West, they stood pat all the way around, but, like, Patrick Beverly was thrown out. Malik Beasley was thrown yeah. out. For the Celtics, Marcus Smart was getting crazy traction for like the last two days before mm-hmm. everything kind of hit the fan with that as well. And, you know, we'll obviously get into the whole Sacramento element a little later on. But like everybody and their mama in that area thought that De'Aaron Fox was going to be on a different team come this time, you know. So mm-hmm. for a lot of those guys not to be moved is really interesting. I also find it hilarious that. Not one team truly abused the fact that the Oklahoma City Thunder have so much cap space. Like, I thought if there was any team yeah. that was going to get, like, battered and bruised with offers in order to try to make other deals work, yep. that of all teams, the Thunder, to only do a trade that involved actually sending a pick, pick away, which was mm-hmm. hilarious. Me and TV talked about how there must have been a mini AA meeting for their uh, for, uh, for their uh front office because of the fact that they were finally able to let a pick go mm-hmm. in exchange for a KZ Akpala, who they ended up releasing early yeah. on today. But um, that was interesting all in its own right, right? Like we had a crazy mm-hmm. four-team trade and it didn't involve the Thunder. So I thought that mm-hmm. was super intriguing too. But Ryan, like your initial thoughts too, like, you know, like I said, we shared our thoughts a lot on other podcasts, but for like our platform, 
What are your what were some of your initial thoughts? What are your takeaways now that the trade deadline is, you know, a smooth 24 hours or so past and we've gotten a chance to finally like digest all this information? Yeah, I think a lot happened on that last day, especially within like the last three hours, anywhere from like 12 to 3 Eastern time. That's when most of the trades occurred. I think even going back to uh, February 9th, when you talked about the other deals with CJ McCollum going to the Pelicans, Tyrese, Tyrese Halbert and going to the Pacers, we're going we're gonna to get into that a little bit more, but that was I, th- I think it's just it was just a weird like roller coaster where there were a lot of good trades, there were a lot of bad trades. I think overall there were a lot of trade packages that made sense, but the destinations just seemed weird. And I think especially with the the CJ deal to the to the Pelicans, I'm just interested to see how all these players are going to fit on their new teams. I know we're going to start with James Harden and the Philadelphia 76ers uh, first, but. Yeah, I'm just really intrigued to see how all these players fit with their new teams. Yeah, so Lauren, speaking of what Ryan was saying before about talking about the James Harden-Ben Simmons deal, so mm-hmm. this has been the the big topic obvi- for obvious reasons all day. And, of course, over the last 24 to 48 hours, there's been this whole element of who's a winner and who's a loser coming out of the trade deadline with this trade being at the forefront. And it's kind of a mixed bag, depending on what kind of camp you're coming from how you Mm -hmm. view things like trade assets, like the draft picks that were thrown in, how Mm -hmm. you view James Harden as a player. If you view him as a top 10 player in the NBA, how you view Ben Simmons as a guy who when healthy, you know, is an all NBA caliber player and so on and so forth. So Mm -hmm. for you, you mentioned earlier that this was like one of those deals that you're like, "Mm, I see it getting done. It's about Mm -hmm. when it gets done, not how it gets done. So after seeing it, seeing the logistics around the trade um, as well, what are your biggest takeaways, I guess, from the trade now that it's finally been put pen to paper? Um, so I think, and I said, I mean, I do think, I know he wasn't the most intriguing name in the piece or in the trade, but Seth Curry, the Nets getting Seth Curry, I think was underrated because they don't have Joe Harris. And so being able to replace that with someone like Seth Curry, I think is a, an underrated aspect of the trade. Um, I do not know what to think of Brooklyn and like those three together because like you, it, it's so difficult to, um, like construct a locker room and like get all the pieces to fit together perfectly. And like, there are so many questions about, you know, who's, who's one a who's one B who's like not even can, who's the, the bottom of the totem pole. And like, we just saw who was the bottom of the totem pole and how that ended. And so I don't really know that I feel so much confidence with the nets. Um, I think it was probably good for them to address this situation and like move forward, add defense, add playmaking. So I think for both sides, like, they're in a better position than they were before the trade. Um, And I think for the 76ers, it's so, so hard because um, at the surface, you didn't have Ben Simmons, so he was giving you nothing. But Seth Curry was kind of a a big part of what they were doing, but he was like the, the, the biggest piece that you moved in that trade. Like, this season, if that makes, if you're following me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so you're swapping his production with James Harden's production. That's a solid upgrade there. And so Philadelphia is, I'd say for this season in like a pretty good 
place. And, and I think Tobias Harris is really going to, uh, not start performing better because he's having a solid season, but like having James Harden is going to allow him to be the clear number three, which I think is the best role for him and one that he can, he can perform very well in and and meet expectations and potentially even exceed them. So I think it's good for the nets right now. Another interesting facet to this trade was the fact that he opted in, opted into his player option, because I know that that was part of the deal. And I think that that's good because it allows them to get one year of, what is this and kind of delay or defer the um, contract negotiation. And I think that's good because so many people are like, are you going to lock up James Harden for four years or whatever the case may be? Because these guys, these superstars don't really sign long-term deals as much anymore. But like when you're, when you have injury history and especially something that's nagging like a hamstring and you're eyeing the, your late thirties, you might be more inclined to sign a four-year deal that takes you and guarantees you getting money into your late 30s, especially saying that having, like, after Ben Simmons did this, he was able to eventually get what he wanted. So, like, what's stopping you from locking up the money? And then, so, I don't know. There are a lot of different interesting moving parts there, but I think this season it's good for Philadelphia. I just don't know about, three, like, three years from now. I don't think you could say with confidence, oh, yeah, this is what the Philadelphia, like, this is what they're working towards in three years. It's just, it's too, too many variables. Okay, so I want to clarify something real quick based off that last point that you made, only because reports came out a little bit earlier today that counteract that a little bit. So I mm-hmm. want to get your okay, thoughts yeah. on this really quickly. Go Coach for says, it. so a report, um, a report Harden exercised his player option in conjunction with yesterday's trade seemed significant. Harden opting in oh, would protect right. the 76ers who surrendered significant assets to acquire him and set up the Harden maximizes uh salary. It says Source familiar with the situation tells the Philly voice James Harden did not opt into the next year of his deal yesterday and reported elsewhere. Sixers and Harden are both confident and feeling good about where they stand long term, but an important detail nonetheless. So that's right. Fisher said that, right? I forgot about that. I only throw that out there because the the back end of the news is still important um, that they're both on the same page and the the logistics behind it aren't that crazy. Him Mm -hmm. choosing to wait till the end of the season puts him in an opt out so that he can go for a long term contract moving forward. I do think that makes things a little tricky. Mm-hmm. In terms of that one year sample size you were talking about beforehand, because then you don't get that audition. Right. I just want to, I want to take that little nugget of information out of it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's just risky. And I know that they are trying to make sure that they had this star to replace Ben Simmons with. And I think right now, like James Harden, it's, it's so hard because he's still James Harden, but like we've seen. We've seen it not work out with superstars and we've seen it, what it looks like in the playoffs and like, what is the ideal person to put around him? And like, he thrives with a Clint Capella type that ha- where he has that easy dump off lob target. And like, you're not going to be asking Joel Embiid to fly through the air and hang on the rim. So like, I think their games on average are going to last about four, four hours, given how often they both can get to the free throw line. And so like, I just... I, I said that I don't – well, I think this was a good move for this year. I'm not sitting here with the the mindset of they're going to the finals. They are. They just are. And, like, I wouldn't pencil it in. I think that there's a good chance. But, like, Miami is, like, there's a lot going on there that I would be afraid of if I'm Philly. I don't think Philly's afraid of anything and, you know, whatever. But, like, 
there's just too much going on in the Eastern Conference right now, and I think Philly needs to make sure that they get a good handle on these these uh, their plan, especially going into two playoffs and with Doc Rivers and all that. Like you need to be on the same page, and you need to be able to make the correct adjustments. And there have been reasons in the past past between James Harden and Doc Rivers independently when they haven't been able to make those correct uh, adjustments. So that it's kind of like prove it to me i want to see you prove it to me i think you can but i've yet to believe that you will 100 percent. does that make sense yeah and i'm gonna take that point and i'm gonna address it in a second with a question back to you i want to get ryan's thoughts on the trade itself um not only just the assets in it but like the trajectory for both of these teams moving forward because i think both of these teams now have a new direction in mind with the with the players they acquired because the, the circumstances are different, right? I think I think there's a lot of different elements that switch around, but I want to get your thoughts first. There was a lot that happened with these trades. And I think when you look at the Philly aspect first, I'm not sold on the idea that they can go to the finals instantly because of how tough the, the Eastern Conference has been so far this season. The other thing I'm not completely sold on is what version of James Harden are you getting? Because... James Harden has not been healthy for the most part for the Brooklyn Nets. If you look at uh, the amount of games that Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden have played together, that's 16 games total. They went 13-3 and in that span, and they won one playoff series together. Now, I made a comment a couple of months ago, actually no, last year when this uh, James Harden deal went down with uh, Brooklyn, I said the ceiling for the trio of KD, Kyrie, and Harden was KD, Steph, and Clay of the Golden State Warriors. The If this duo fails, they would be the Charles Barkley, Scottie Pippen, Hakeem Olajuwon of this era that from the 1998 Rockets. I have to revise that a little bit now because I think they're more like the Greg Oden, Brandon Roy, and LaMarcus Aldridge trio from the Portland Trailblazers because remember – if all three of those guys were healthy, they could have done some major damage in the Western Conference. Um, now moving that to the side, looking at the uh, Brooklyn Nets side of things. Seth Curry's not been shooting the ball recently, or shooting the ball well recently, but if, if you're telling me his career low is 40% from three, I'll take that. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Andre Drummond once gave you a 23-rebound game, and this was on January 31st against Memphis Grizzlies. So... One, one thing that I think Brooklyn needed the most was size. And they got that with Andre Drummond. He's not, the, he's not the, the best defender, but he can go attack the glass and give you 10 to 15 rebounds a game easily. The wild card is Ben Simmons because does he play? And the report came out from Rich Paul. He talked to Ben Simmons. He talked to Kevin Durant. talked to Sean Marks. Ben Simmons is ready to go. I told Jalen this earlier. If Ben Simmons goes out there and hits three threes in multiple games, the entire city of Philadelphia is going to be <laughs> angry because they feel like they may they they feel like they they got swindled by Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons couldn't shoot the ball very well in Philadelphia, and now he's going out there with Brooklyn and he's hitting like multiple threes. The other thing we kind of don't really talk about with Ben Simmons is the fact that he plays elite level perimeter defense. There's a reason why he was one of the top players in the NBA in terms of defensive acumen. I mean, he's a, he's he's not a bust per se. I think his stint in Philadelphia was a, a complete bust. But him as a player, 
on a new team, I think he'll be fine. I think once he gets out there with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they don't need him to put up 15 points a game because they have guys who can put up 15 points a game. If he can go out there and play elite-level defense against the league's best scorers, I think that's what's going to really turn the tide for Brooklyn in this trade. Yeah, so I mean, so I want to address something that you said um, about the the Trailblazers comparison because um, Zach Lowe actually said something on his podcast earlier earlier today that was like the KD, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden trio is like the greatest theoretical basketball team of all time in terms of like a grouping. I think that's a great way to address it because, of course, there's the the whole the whole stat that's been going around the last couple a uh, couple of days or really the last couple of hours is. They only played 16 games with one another when they did. They were 13 and three. Um, but, uh, Lauren, I want to go back to something that you said earlier mm-hmm. about the prove it or the show it to me. I'm going to read something that I pulled from Zach Lowe's recent podcast. And it's something that I touched on in an article I actually wrote today mm-hmm. about James Harden's expectations in Philly. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with the or maybe maybe more so people's expectations of James. Right. In Philly being that he's supposed to bring them a championship within this window, especially with the fact that not only is it the Philly media, which is his own demon to tackle, but underneath this umbrella that, you know, this is your this is your third or fourth chance, you know, in terms of putting yourself into what you consider the ideal situation. So right. what he said specifically um, was that I thought two of the best postseason moments for James Harden were in game six and game seven of the Milwaukee series. Both games, Brooklyn lost, but he gave them real minutes and real production on one leg and gutted it out, and that's to his credit. But the fact that those might be his two best and most impactful high-leverage postseason moments in 10 years is something that he does need to address. Now, the reason why I think that's an important quote to focus on is because when you think about somebody who has this kind of window, and it's a really small one. And again, the Philly media factors into this a lot in terms of exact Philly media, Philly fans, they all factor into this a bit. Mm-hmm. When you talk about this kind of window, it's hard to look at hard and pin hard to pinpoint any time in James Harden's entire career, even dating back to OKC, where he was really more of like a, a tertiary tertiary option, mm-hmm. where when the when the stakes were extremely high. He played up to that level. Mm-hmm. Now you're in an environment with that level of expectation and maybe beyond. Right. The way I phrase it is that I think he is now in one of the toughest situations he's faced in his career, being right. one of the most unproductive multi-time MVP runner-ups and one-time MVPs in NBA history in terms right. of postseason production. So what do you, as an outside fan, right, because this is easier for us not being uh, part of the Philadelphia space as yeah. an outside fan what do you think the realistic expectation for James Harden should be when taken in taken into consideration what he has or I guess has not done so far yeah so in my mind it's you need to bring the city the city of Philadelphia a title within three years and like I would say two but like that's tough. Like I think there's a big difference between two and three years. Uh, in three years, I don't even know that I could say with confidence that he'll be in Philadelphia. Like there's so many again, so many moving parts here. But 
with Philadelphia, James Harden throwing in there, like Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, great. Like you still have Matisse. They have lots of a great supporting cast that has put them in a position to be able to do this. And you're playing with someone in Joel Embiid that is an MVP candidate this year. But like, that's another huge piece to this puzzle. Do you think that this is your team? Because nobody does. There's not anyone that thinks this is your team. And so are you okay with being the number two? Are you okay with taking the back seat, especially if it's, you know, the last shot? And again, that's case by case, like whatever, but like, or game by game situation. But like, where are you with that? Is Daryl Morey like, you know, that's your buddy. Is this like, what is your expectation? You know, where do you see yourself in the plans and the vision for what this team is trying to accomplish? And that's where I think there could potentially be a little bit of, disconnect um and one thing that I said is that I don't know like the fit they both do better in the half court they're not two guys that you know get out and run or anything and that's great but like what's gonna happen when you throw the ball to Embiid and he's everybody's collapsing on Embiid your every defense that you play the one the one thing that they're gonna have to do is make sure that you don't whoever leaves is not the guy that's on James Harden and James Harden doesn't really like relocate. He passes the ball and he stands. So like, what is that going to do to your offense? And what kind of responsibility is that going to put on Tyrese and Tobias who aren't necessarily, I mean, I think Tobias can create a, a little bit, but like, they're not, they're not James Harden in terms of creation. So like, there are clear, um, like, what's the right word? Like, just things that they need to address. And that again, I'm going to need to see more sample size of like when you're going against a Milwaukee, a team that has continuity that plays solid defense for the most part, like, and can switch, can adjust, have, have certain guys that can like someone like Drew Holiday or someone like Chris Middleton that can kind of counter uh, James Harden. And then you've got Giannis who can go up against and be like, what are you going to do when you have to get creative? You know, can you get creative and in more ways than one? And I just, I don't know. I, I feel, I don't know how I feel about it. And I think a lot of people are looking at Milwaukee, like not to get off topic, but I do think in the Eastern conference, in terms of what you can achieve, people are kind of looking more so at Miami than they are at Milwaukee because Miami's having a good year and Milwaukee's kind of having some, some troubles from time to time, but I don't, I'm by no means counting out Milwaukee and I don't think Philly should either. I mean, I think that's a great point to touch on and you're, you're, uh, your focus in on what their offensive hook hiccups are going to be is like a great yeah. one. I, I, I was giggling because like Zach Lowe was talking about that exact thing of oh, you, yeah. you, you referenced the, if you dump it down to Embiid, what does he do off the ball? Because yeah. typically one of the things that get brought up that gets brought up about James Harden is how he can literally be off your television screen <laughs> off ball when we're talking about being able to be an open and available option. So mm-hmm. when you talk about somebody like Embiid who really can dominate the ball on the low block, and you're not going to be mad at him for doing so, right? right? Talking about an MVP candidate so far doing such things. What kind of availability is he going to get for himself? Because James Harden is also the, not, not, not the kind of knockdown shooter that Seth Curry is. So even right. if he makes himself available, how much are you trusting him to really put, put yourself in the best position to make something out of those kind of offensive possessions? Right. Yeah. I want to ask you a question that kind of piggybacks off a little bit of what we're talking about. And it might come off as a, as, a, as a dumb question. So I will preface my comments ahead of time. But I just want to chronicle something for you and then ask you a question. If we look at how James Harden got to Philly, right? Let's let's really chronicle it going back to 
starting in Houston. I don't really want to go like to the OKC days and stuff like that because of the fact that he was a much different player there. But if we go through, I kind of chronicled this like in a very basic format, but he got to the Rockets. He ended up being paired with Dwight Howard. Mm, got him out of here. Ends up getting paired with Chris Paul. Didn't last too long. Ends up getting him sent to Oklahoma City. At the time, we thought Chris Paul was literally getting sent to Siberia. You move forward. Ends up getting paired with former teammate Russell Westbrook. Everybody's throwing together the whole California connections, the OKC stuff. Lasted a year, and then Russell Westbrook gets sent to the Washington Wizards. Last season, he pretty much tanks his way out of Houston to get to Brooklyn, which based off comments, especially during this past offseason, you would have thought Brooklyn was the place he wanted to be. And now we have this year. Granted, I will give James Harden this one out, is nobody could have seen the stuff that's taking place with Kyrie Irving and take uh, like happen. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody thought that even if Kyrie was going to be stubborn about the vaccine, that it was going to last this long mm-hmm. in terms of the kind of influence it's had on the team. So I do understand his his frustrations there. Nonetheless, pretty much got himself out of another team to the point that, you know, I, I go back to what Lauren said about not being a uh, not being a big wind horse guy. But wind horse did say James Harden was quite literally crying without crying to get his way out of there. And the only reason why he didn't make it verbally known, obviously known that he wanted to be traded was because of obviously the kind of backlash that would follow, considering he's already done it one time. So I, t- I, I bring all of that chronicling together to go to this question. And again, I do preface it by saying it may be a little stupid, but do you think that this is James Harden's last chance to really win a championship? Because he is 31. This is, I would argue, in terms of circumstances overall, you have the, I'm going to say the the a, a top three big man. I'll maybe even say top two big man in the league right now. You do have solid supporting pieces with Matisse, who can be a good uh, backup defender behind you, uh, that can play next to you, I'm saying. A guy like Tyrese Maxey, who has filled it up really well so far this season, has played really well at the one, but I think can play pretty well off-ball at the two as well. You have Tobias Harris still, which I think is a big thing in all of this. You have the squad. You still have Daryl Morey, who, at the end of the day, I think in the buyout market, still might be able to wheel and deal, because he's done it before for James Harden teams. And speaking of Daryl Morey, you got the homie. You got the homie in your back pocket again. With all of that, I I tabled it as the Sixers trading for the last chance version of Harden. The last possible maximization of anything you expect James Harden to be in terms of helping you to win a championship. Do you think this is his last chance or do you think his window is a lot more open than maybe some would assume? I think this is this is definitely his last chance because if you look at the team that he's now on and you look at the circumstances, let's look at the circumstances. Joel Embiid has been on the Philadelphia 76ers since 2014. That championship window has been open for four years. It's been open since Jimmy Butler got there. So I think the, the championship window for Joel Embiid is – about the same size as James Harden's right now, at least if if Joel Embiid wants to stick around in Philadelphia. But it's interesting when you talk about the fact that James Harden pretty much forced his way out of Brooklyn. But it's it's weird because you look at the other teams that he's been on and the circumstances of how he left. 
James Harden has to win a ring. There, there's, there's no if ands, buts. If he does not walk out of Philadelphia with a ring, then I don't know what the purpose of him wanting out of Brooklyn was. I, and I, I, I get the circumstances with Kyrie Irving and the vaccine status, but you had Kevin Durant on there too. That team, even without Harden, that team was championship caliber. And now you can argue they got better with Harden leaving with the assets that they acquired. They also have those two first-round picks that not a lot of people talk about, but they'll use those down the road, I will assume. But again, you have to go back to the fact that James Harden is now on his third team in three years. I think that's something that not a lot of people are talking about right now, and it's a point of emphasis if James Harden continues to chase the ring. So, Lauren, I just want to get your your final thoughts here. I know I don't want to beat the dead horse too much because we got a couple mm-hmm. more trades to talk about. But the the big thing with this James Harden exchange, obviously, Ryan touched on it a little bit, is the 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 Brooklyn element of it. What are mm-hmm. your just quick thoughts on Brooklyn's side of all of this? Because of course, the James Harden thing takes the headline. But if all works out. Ben Simmons does come and play. They they do say that, like Ryan talked about earlier, there were reports that he is pretty committed to being a part of this program this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Seth Curry, you mentioned it earlier, helps with the whole Joe Harris situation. What are your thoughts on just like where Brooklyn lands coming out of all of this? Yeah, I mean, oh, so... I think that they're in a better place, like I like I said before, and and I, you mentioned the Andre Drummond of it all, and I have always said with Andre Drummond, not to go on a whole tangent there, if you are a team that like defensively, and I recognize before this trade they have not been so great defensively, defensively, but if you add Ben Simmons, I think you'll be okay. Um, in like defensively, and you're, you might not be the top defensive team in the league, but like you have Ben Simmons, and then you have the scoring that Kevin Durant on paper, and I recognize you know where they're at right now, but on paper, Kevin Durant and Kyrie and the playoffs will give you you know if everything's healthy and everyone's good to go, uh, or for when they're available, I should say. But um, if you have Andre Drummond in there, you don't like he's not going to be this defensive guy like you guys said. But if he's if you're playing him a bunch and he's giving you like anywhere and it could honestly range so much anywhere between 10 and 20 rebounds a game like not 20 a game but like if he's occasionally getting to the upper teens but he's every night getting you at least 10 like that's going to give them a good advantage because they're going to do fine on the glass you can throw Ben Simmons you know I assume that he will be available this season and going into playoffs but I could be wrong about that I don't know but that's what I'm assuming you have him as a defensive weapon and then KD is just that good of a scorer where I think you can be okay. And then you can rely on Seth Curry, Ben Simmons. You know, if you're using him as a pick and roll man, I don't know if he is okay with that. That's another question. But I think on paper right now, they're going to be okay. And they are fully capable of bringing the title to Brooklyn. But it's, it's not, I don't think people are as scared of them as they were with James Harden it's much easier to kind of manage a Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, you know, introduction than having to deal with James Harden, KD, and Kyrie and the creation that comes with that. So I think they're in a better position, but I also think teams are less scared of them, if that makes sense. Okay. I mean, I I think that all definitely adds up to the point. I mean, that's the thing. This just, 
it's going to be interesting to just see how both teams come out of this because I, I, I come to the conclusion that I don't necessarily know if there was any main loser. I'm starting yeah. to come towards the camp that if I had to pick a winner, I maybe would lean in the Brooklyn camp just out of the fact that I think some of the assets they have are something they can lean on moving forward and it doesn't make their timeline as sketchy because yeah. KD's locked up long-term. Ben Simmons is locked up long-term. They have Seth Curry. They trust that Kyrie Irving will be re-signed in the offseason. So they have uh, they have a framework of something moving forward as opposed to Philly, who, despite all the optimism, obviously, in the honeymoon phases of all this stuff, still kind of have some things to figure out. Yeah, so definitely. Let's move on to the, the, the second trade of like what we're going to talk about. And Ryan, I'll start with you on this one. Karis LeVert to the Cavaliers. Um, this is one of those, uh, I've said it on a million podcasts, so I'm, I'm not going to, you know, beat the dead horse too much, but this is a guy that I definitely thought would fit on this team really well. Kind of been talking about his fit for this squad in particular, coming up to the trade deadline for a while. This was one of the first like real game changing trades, I guess, quote unquote, of the trade, like of the trade deadline week. Um, your thoughts on the carriage trade to the Cavaliers? I know the word manifesting is is pretty big this year. Um, <laughs> Jalen, you manifested this trade, saw it right into the future. And this could not have worked out better for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and especially given what's been going on with their guards, because you lost Colin Sexton earlier in the season. He's out for the season. Ricky Rubio, who you actually traded to the pace to the Pacers in this deal is out for the season. And, but he's also on an expiring contract. So, you were able to free up some cap space there. I think Karis Levert will fit very well on this team as somebody who can give you 20 points coming off the bench. And this is something that he's been known uh, throughout his career to be able to do. And this is a guy who has strong shot creation skills. And I think those skills are going to be utilized well because they're going to need some scoring from the guard department because of the fact that most of their offense is being run through Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And it's actually worked to great success, but I think you just need more, especially if you want to be a playoff caliber team like the Cavs are trying to be. What If you look at the Indiana Pacers, obviously they're not keeping Ricky Rubio because it's an expiring contract and he's out for the season right now. But you look at, their, at what they got in return, they got a couple of picks in 2022. They got a first-round pick, and they also got a second-round pick. I think that Indiana could use those picks to further build their team. And I think if they use those picks correctly, especially with how deep this NBA draft could be this year, Indiana could be completing their rebuild faster than we think. I mean, I think that's a good point on both fronts. Um, Lauren, what are your thoughts on it for both sides? I mean, Obviously, the Karis LeVert aspect of it is the one that we're going to zero in on. But what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on the trade overall? Yeah, I mean, I think both sides got exactly what they were looking for with it. I mean, Cleveland, it, it was that Ricky Rubio contract was very much in play. So the fact that they were able to get someone like Karis LeVert, who I think gives them a little bit of Colin Sexton insurance, uh, because I like Colin Sexton. And I don't think he's like, I think prototype wise, he's kind of exactly what you would want next to Darius Garland, but it just doesn't. It seems like he would oh, it seems like he would do best in that six man role and they don't want to pay him like a starter if he's going to be the type of guy in the NBA that excels in this system 
in a six-man role, which I understand. And so I think having Karis LeVert uh, as, especially like you said, Ryan, on an offense that is like significantly utilizes Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, um, having him in there, whether he's playing, whether he's starting six-man, playing a lot of minutes, like wherever his role is, I think he's uh, he's a good fit to kind of plug in there. He score like he's a big scorer, and that's that's what you need around Darius Garland. And when you have these bigs, and so I thought it was a good use of the expiring contract and a pick because the reality is like Ricky Rubio um, was was playing solid for them, but he was out for the year. And so if you have an opportunity to do something with that, and you can bring in someone who is in Indiana and like a situation that has depleted, you know, he's available. Like this, this is on paper, the exact move that you go out and make and Karis wanted to be there. And so uh, I think it was a perfect move for both sides. And obviously what ended up happening with Indiana for the rest of the deadline, like I think they put themselves in a good position, kind of like Ryan said to bounce back. So uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think both sides are, are definitely in a good, a better position than they were. Yeah. So just as my like two cents on it, like the reason why I was, beating the table for Karis LeVert was because, to me, it was always Karis LeVert or Cam Reddish. I figured those were the two guys. The idea was to get a big wing, secondary ball handler, secondary shot creator, somebody else that could do something offensively in the backcourt next to Darius Garland, especially with Ricky Rubio going down because, I mean, like the Rondo pickup, but nothing super vicious, especially if we're talking about the timeline that this team is on. He definitely isn't somebody for the long term. I look, they're still getting big minutes from Isaac Okoro at the two and sometimes at the three big minutes from Jetty Osman at the three, which is a little rough as well. Not that he's playing well, not that he's not playing well or anything this season. He's actually playing pretty okay, but there's a, there's a, a pathway to upgrading at that two and three guard position. So I thought that Karis Levert was the best opportunity for that. The other thing is, and I've brought up this stat a lot just because I think it's so interesting. Apparently, the Cleveland Cavaliers were one of the worst, or I guess are one of the worst scoring teams in terms of uh, scoring off of drives. Apparently, Karis LeVert is like one of the top scorers in terms of creating offense off of driving. I thought that was just kind of interesting out of the mere fact that if you do look at their roster, it doesn't look like anybody outside of Darius Garland really puts pressure on the rim, right? Mm -hmm. Like Evan Mobley and... Jared Allen are good around the rim, but not necessarily in terms of creating a pathway to like really put pressure on some of the other bigs and do damage that way. So I thought Karis LeVert just answered a lot of the questions for them. The one quick question I want to ask you, and I've asked Ryan this a million times, so I kind of just want to get your perspective on it, is Mm -hmm. there's such thing as smelling the roses too soon. Ryan did hint to this a little bit earlier um, when we were off camera talking about the Knicks. And I think that the Cavaliers (laughs) are really interesting uh, thought experiment for this as well because you know you get Darius Garland named as an all-star shout out to him as well I think that's huge for him because you know especially coming into the league he's coming off of injury and everything else Jared Allen I thought had a very good case to be an all-star as well within that grouping Evan Mobley is coming along probably better than you could have anticipated and they had draft capital they had Colin Sexton in their back pocket if they really wanted to utilize him even as a bench guy or as a trade asset. Um, do you think that the Karis Levert move is too much of like the here and now and they, they, there's a little bit of hindsight too? There's, there's a lack of hindsight, I should say. Or do you think that's kind of just the move they needed where they can meet in the middle of, yes, they can be a, a feisty team in the playoffs this year, but still have the future in mind a little bit? So... 
I actually, it's really funny that you asked that because I know that they are getting praised for this move. And I think, like I said, good use of the contract. Like you bring someone in, it makes sense on paper, but I do kind of think it was a little bit of a rush because what I think Cleveland should be doing when you have Darius Garland kind of taking this next step up, you have Jarrett Allen playing at this all-star level and you have Evan Mobley just exceeding expectations and showing what type of player he can be in this league. Uh, I said what last a week ago that before the deadline um, and it was actually the day of this before the move happened, the carousel vert trade happened before it happened. I said that I do not think that they should do this move. And I think that they should take a Memphis approach to it and say, Hey, mm. we've got a good young core. Let's not, you know, push all the pieces in like Atlanta and not that they did it to that extent, but like, let's not rush it. And let's let these guys continue to build chemistry, develop, Let's keep drafting and then just find the right time to say, hey, this is our guy that's available. This is the final piece. If you feel like, you know, this core that you have, not saying that, I mean, Jaw and Evan Mobley are like completely different players, but like in terms of ceiling potential and like how good you think that they can be in terms of being your franchise cornerstone, again, different when you have a guard versus a big, but that all comes down to where you view Evan Mobley. And so I... I felt like it was a little bit premature, but also like I get it. So luckily Karis LeVert is the type of move that I don't think is permanent. But like you said, you know, they used a pick to get it. So I do think you could have a little bit of a hindsight, like shoot, we might've rushed that a little bit, but at the same time, I still think it's something you can recover from. And the East is open this year, not as much as the West, but like this is a crazy year. Cleveland is putting together a really good year. And so I'd like to see what they could what they can do. And I think it's important for them to get playoff experience and playoff experience. That's like, that matters where they feel like they're in a good position, not where it's like, man, if we were just one piece away or like, if we just had, so I think that this is going to be good for them, but I don't, I do think that this was a little bit of a short-sighted move. Okay. I mean, I agree. And I think that again, the reason why I asked you that is because I feel like depending on what camp you come from, it really depends. There's, it's really hard for, a team that has been mm, kind of moseying along. Let's just let's just be honest. Been kind of moseying along the last couple of years in terms of trying to figure out the direction post LeBron James. And mm-hmm. this is their second time having to deal with such a thing. Mm-hmm. This is a situation where it's kind of hard to scold them for wanting to kind of make win now esque moves. But there is that element of again the sample sizes we have them, not just the Knicks, but. Even the Portland Trailblazers, right? They made the Western Conference Finals. It ain't been pretty since then. And that's me being nice. You know what I mean? In terms of their real championship uh, capabilities, it ain't been there. And Mm -hmm. I think that the Cavaliers might have a better um, foundation than maybe some of those other teams did to get to where they currently are. But Mm -hmm. you do have to kind of, you know, not maybe side eye, but look at it very closely when you talk about the idea of them moving a little too fast and just wonder, you know, you don't have to be pessimistic, but just wonder whether or not, you know, you should kind of take this for the long road as opposed to trying to get instant gratification. Now, here's something that I don't think anybody can fully explain. And Ryan, I apologize in advance for making you go first, but Tyrese Halliburton to the Indiana Pacers is by far one of the most intriguing trades I've ever seen. And um, 
I'll I'll get into my rant mode a little bit later. Ryan, you might actually have a worse one for me because we talked about this a little bit more in depth uh, yesterday after, on the phone. But this was one of those trades that kind of just left you really wondering about like the mental health of Sacramento Kings fans. You know what I mean? So I'm going to detail the trade just because this one is a little bit thicker than some of the other trades we've talked about so far. Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson for DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second round pick. Ryan, for the podcast purposes, I want you to share your initial thoughts that you had when you saw the trade, which should be hilarious in its own right because all of us were confused. But number two, what do you feel like is the methodology for both or should be the methodology for both of these teams moving forward being indiana now having tyrese halliburton and sacramento keeping De'Aaron now having demontis if i was sacramento you trade away the one guy who wanted to be there that's the most baffling part you trade away the one guy that wanted to be there and it hurts because of the aftermath of it. Tyrese Halliburton was in tears when he found out that he was traded. And then, like, if, if you ever had a thought that the NBA was more business than loyalty, this was the trade that you could point to as the example for it. Because I just, I don't get the mindset. Because you have De'Aaron Fox, a disgruntled star, who does not want to be there. Then you have Tyrese, who said that he wants to turn around the organization. But you trade Tyrese. Now, granted, one of them had to go, because De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton have shown you they cannot play together. They just aren't. They, they work better as, you know, when they're when they're on the floor alone as, uh, as compared to together. Tyrese Halliburton's numbers and De'Aaron Fox's numbers when they play alone reflect that. Which is why the idea of moving the one guy who wanted to be there made me so angry. And I said this on the episode with Ian and his rant was a lot funnier because he he went to extreme lengths to uh, talk about his feelings about this trade. Um, I'm going to avoid rant mode because if you want to hear my rant about that, check out the last episode. This was just baffling. And again, Tyrese put so much trust, so much trust into this organization, and they just stabbed him in the back. Now, the other thing, like looking at the Pacers aspect, they get uh you, you get Tyrese, you get Buddy Heald, and you get Tristan Thompson. I think Tyrese is somebody that you can build the franchise around. Buddy Heald may or may not be an Indiana Pacer because there are reports that he may end up getting traded as well. Um, or he he may end up getting bought out, uh, and then Tristan Thompson. I think it'd be a solid backup center to Miles Turner. But this was a trade that was head scratching, baffling. I was bamboozled. I was befuddled. Every word in the book for confused, angry, hurt, baffled. You name it. It's this is the trade to exp- to explain it. So, Lauren, I'm going to play uh, a game with you. It's actually mm-hmm. a series of questions that I want you to answer um, in whatever fashion you'd like. I'm going to ask okay. you the first question. It is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much 
do you trust the Sacramento Kings front office? How much do I trust them? Mm-hmm. I I would probably say a like a the one I I don't I don't trust them to put my franchise if I were a Kings fan I wouldn't trust them to put me in a position to win a title I wouldn't trust them with say we get another draft pick and we find a diamond in the rough once again that they're not going to ruin that situation as well um and I don't trust that they're going to make this Sabonis Fox I mean I know they they're one and oh together against the Timberwolves but like I wouldn't trust them to put together a winning formula long-term. So, and if I'm another team in the league, I, well, then let me not say all that, but I just, the trust and the confidence there, it's not there. It's not there for me. Okay. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever, you've been covering basketball for a good little while. Have you mm-hmm. ever heard of a NBA draft prospect ploying for the opportunity to end up on the Sacramento Kings. Outside of Tyrese Halliburton, who we are talking about, obviously. Right. I don't know that I have off off the top of my head. Like, I remember when Darren Fox was drafted, but it was just like, I think in that draft, there were so many talented guys going into it. It was like, I want to be drafted at the top, as close to the top as I can. And, you know, there is an order. And so, like, but I don't think he was somebody that was excited about embracing a city's culture and just bearing the responsibility that comes with kind of being a part of a rebuild and being one of the guys, if not the guy, like depending on, you know, where that was, was at. But I just think that it's so rare in this day and age to find that type of guy. And when you are that guy, like, I just, I don't understand how you can devalue or or not see the value in having that guy. And so my last question to you is one that, again, may come off as rhetorical, but I think needs to be answered in order to get to our conclusion, which is, did you believe that heading into the trade deadline, as most of us did, again, no peer pressure here, but as Mm -hmm. most of us did, that Tyrese Halliburton wasn't untouchable for the Sacramento Yeah, I thought he was 100% untouchable and... Um, I said that I also thought Davion was untouchable, but not as untouchable, which I, I realized doesn't totally make sense. But um, I thought that those were the two that like there was no way Tyrese was getting moved and that they were really going to try to do everything that they had to to keep Davion, but that it might get to a point where it's like, look, is you've got to do something to 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 change up the formula in Sacramento. But I under no circumstance did I ever expect Tyrese Halliburton to be included in that move. So with those three answers, the conclusion I'm trying to get to, and I want listeners to understand, is that this was a trade that seemed like it was never supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Ryan made a good comment earlier, and he's told me this on multiple occasions, so I'm going to kind of defer to him a little bit. But one of the things that he said earlier was that there were a lot of trades that happened on trade deadlines specifically where it seemed like the package made sense, but the destination did not. Now... Mm-hmm. I don't support the idea of trading Tyrese Halliburton. I think if you're going to trade anybody, and Kings fans were convinced of this. Shout out my guy, my guy Carson. He We talked about this at length around the trade deadline. Believed that if anybody was going to be moved, it was going to be De'Aaron Fox. Kings fans thought for sure Harrison Barnes was about of here. I mean, granted, I don't think they don't like Harrison Barnes or anything. Right. Actually, he had a really efficient game the other day. But 
there was a there was it was more likely that Harrison Barnes was getting moved than Tyrese Halliburton. Thank God Marvin Bagley finally got freed out because I mean <laughs> at this point that was one of those we we had an interesting rant from Ian about that one as well because somehow you know after the Tyrese Halliburton trade was over somehow at the time Marvin Bagley was still on the squad mm-hmm. so Ryan I'm gonna kind of go to you about this first and. The question is simple. What do you think the future for the Kings can look like as currently constructed? Because like nobody on this pod is going to go as far as trying to defend this organization with this kind of move. But we do have to try to put it within a framework of understanding what is the play? What is the plan? What can this team do with the team that it has what what are your thoughts i want to get yours i'll share mine and then we'll go to one i'll say one thing real quick before i answer that question um for all of my nba 2k22 gamers out there uh i completely forgot that my guy in my uh my nba 2k game was drafted by the sacramento kings so uh I after hearing this trade, I took it upon myself to immediately request a trade <laughs> away from Sacramento, um, and that trade is still being uh, formulated. So I really don't know where my guy's going to end up. But um, in all seriousness, I think that this team, as currently constructed, play-in team. There's a chance that I think that they can finish as the ten seed um, this season. Not, this season, okay. I think they can finish as the ten seed. If it's not them, it's New Orleans. But um, look, you have De'Aaron Fox. I, I think we have to wait to see how Sabonis is going to pair up with Rashawn Holmes. But again, I think play styles, I'm not sure how well it's going to mesh together with De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. You also have Harrison Barnes, too, who actually put up 30 points in that game that Lauren referenced earlier against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And shockingly, he wasn't moved either. And... That was a move that I was also penciling in. That Marvin Bagley, De'Aaron Fox, I think I thought all three of those guys were going to be gone. Um, but look, I think Harrison Barnes is somebody that you can include in this core with the Sacramento Kings. He could be somebody that's very valuable as a player that you want to build around in terms of trying to make the playing tournament. But this team, their ceiling is the playing tournament. That they, I don't think they're a playoff lock. I think that there are six, seven, eight teams that are better than them in the Western Conference right now. It's just very hard to see what the future looks like, but for now, I'll say 10 seed playing tournament. Okay, and Lauren, what what are your thoughts on like the the play moving forward for Sacramento? Is this a is this a move to try to make the play in tournament? Is this one of those things where now you're trying to put somebody legitimate at the big man spot next to De'Aaron Fox? And maybe go for it next year. What what if you had to look at it from an outside perspective? What do you think this move for the Kings does? What what do you think the plan should be? Yeah, so my I am a big Sabonis fan. And so my read on it was the Kings got together front office and said, what what realistic paths are out there for us to significantly shake up our current formula? and have a new identity and I've I keep coming back to would you rather have Tyrese Halliburton and Julius Randle or would you rather have De'Aaron Fox and Devonta Sabonis and Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's on the table but I just keep going back to that 
Um, and so I, I wonder what was out there for De'Aaron Fox and kind of what the internal value is on De'Aaron Fox. Because like you said, there it was no secret that a lot of people were expecting him to get moved or at least expecting there to be lots of discussion. And I'm yeah, I'm not going to get back to the shock of it, but I think looking at it and saying, hey, we have the chance to get someone like Sabonis, who is a guy, is a guy that I believe you do build your franchise around. And De'Aaron Fox has has made it clear that he is not that guy, even though he was drafted. Like, Sabonis is the guy. And it's not Sabonis' team right now. He just got there. But I think Sacramento was saying, what options are out there for us right now to significantly shake this up while also, again, getting off Buddy Heald, which, whatever. But <laughs> but while getting someone that is going to shake up the formula that is someone that is worth building around instead of just getting picks or getting somebody where there's questions. And so, in that regard, like, I'm a Sabonis fan. I don't think that it's, you know, a t- like, I don't think it's a terrible trade because of the return you got. I think it's a terrible trade because you were ever even okay with moving on from Halliburton in the, in the beginning. <laughs> like that's where it keeps coming back to for me because I do like Sabonis, but the fit with De'Aaron Fox is questionable. And like Sabonis is a guy, I, I, somebody that has been like the offense every, every year of his career, the offense has been run through him. And so, and he, I mean, he gets a lot of assists. Like he's got good vision. He's a guy, again, a guy that you build around, but De'Aaron Fox is athletic. He is like crafty around the rim. He's not an off-ball relocator shooter guy. So those two do not mix, which is why when at the beginning, not the beginning of the trade deadline, but when things talks really started heating up before final week, they were talking about a De'Aaron Fox Sabonis swap. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. That switches things up. It really comes down to how does Indiana view De'Aaron Fox? Because a Halliburton Sabonis pairing is like, I like that a lot. And... Mm -hmm. But now you're what you're looking at, I just and and Sabonis in three years, in I think it's three years, his contract expires. And right now he's on a, I believe, a good team-friendly contract. But after that, are you really that confident that he's re-signing? Cause I'm not. And so I think there that's a big caveat to this whole thing and a big like just gamble because you had Tyrese and like De'Aaron Fox, like that contract situation was kind of coming to like a, we have to make a decision, but Tyrese, that was way down the line. But now you have De'Aaron Fox who you got to make sure you got to figure out if this fit works. And you have Sabonis who you're kind of like his, his, uh, him being an expiring deal is going to be here before they know it. So I think that this situation has a lot of potential to go the wrong direction for them. There are too many variables, which is why overall, because I don't want to discount Sabonis or say like, what are you doing? Sabonis sucks or like this return sucks. Cause I don't think that I just think there are too many variables for this to be considered a good move in the long term. So I saved a little sneaky question that I left off of the rundown for this purpose based on mm-hmm. you guys' responses. And it has something to do with something that Adrian Wojnarowski said on mm-hmm. the telecast following the Tyrese Halliburton trade. If everybody remembers um, one of the biggest things that I referenced earlier about him being an untouchable the entire league was shocked, according to according to Woj, when Tyrese was traded because they thought that he wasn't even available to be discussed about. Right. So my question to you guys, and I'll start with Ryan on this because I think it's I think it's just really interesting of a thought experiment. Is okay, say the cat's out of the bag. The league has an understanding, or I guess they should have already came to this this conclusion, but you know whatever. 
Let's say that the league realizes Sacramento is questionable in the front in the front office area, right? Let's say they finally get the picture and realize that they're willing to do a little something, something if you're willing to dangle a carrot out there. And so everybody has the memo that Tyrese is out in the market. Mm-hmm. If you could pick one team that you think should needs needed to and had the actual assets to make a trade for Tyrese Halliburton, what team would you have suggested to go after Tyrese? Ryan, I'll start with you. I think it's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah. I didn't even I, if you did, if you didn't know he was available, you weren't even you weren't even scheming it up on the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm gonna go ahead and say the Celtics. I think the Celtics could be a really interesting fit for Tyrese Halliburton because Jalen referenced this when we were on the Two Guys One Hoop podcast. The idea that the offense basically is surrounded by Jason Tatum takes the ball and he shoots it, and then Jalen Brown takes the ball and he shoots it, and it's like a back-and-forth game between like, okay, you take a shot, you take a shot, you take a shot. I think they need a third score. Now, I mean, you could argue they got that with Derek White, but if Tyrese was able to play with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I think the Celtics would be a formidable big three that no one talks about. That's an interesting one. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say they need another score, but I would say the one place where Tyrese Halliburton fits in is he could actually be a setup guy in a way that I don't think Marcus Smart has been able to be. You know what I mean? Because Marcus is pretty much in the position where because of that the you know one-on-one ISO style ball that those two guys play, Marcus is like, bro, when I get the ball, I'm chucking it straight up. <laughs> and you can see it not only from his three-point attempts, but you can see it from his three-point production as well from a, from an efficiency standpoint. It ain't great. You can tell it's because from an offensive standpoint, the guys playing alongside JT and Jalen are just under the impression that when they get the ball, they need to make something happen with it. And I think that I think Tyrese is a good fit in an interesting way out of the fact that maybe he can kind of still be a part of this slowed down ISO style offense while not necessarily um not necessarily allowing those guys to slow the ball down so much and be able to get other guys involved. But Lauren, what are your thoughts on that? Like what's another team that you think like should have, could have, would have, and you would have suggested to go after Tyrese if they had known, probably should have known, like I said, the Kings, they'll, they'll let anything go nowadays, <laughs> that you think they uh, probably should have went after a guy like Tyrese. Yeah, it's really hard because Tyrese Halliburton is the type of guy that you can plug into a like a win-now system and you know exactly what he's going to get you. But he's also one of the guys that's like, if one of these teams has a star that's disgruntled and is going to ask out and maybe his value right now is like way more than Tyrese Halliburton, but like you're looking around the league and you're like, if we want a young player that's going to reset, he's going to be our reset. Like where does Tyrese rank on your list? And I think he'd probably rank pretty high on a lot of teams lists. I'm kind of looking around and I think Portland would have been interesting, but I just, I don't think it, I think it's a little too early on the Damian Lillard conversation. So I don't, I, I wouldn't say Portland, but I definitely think that that's a conversation that would have been worth having because like you mentioned, I don't think anybody thought Tyrese Halliburton was available and if you're looking at the rest of the league in terms of if this Damian Lillard situation goes south in the summer like or in the near future if we would have had a shot at Tyrese Halliburton 
maybe we should have taken it. And so again, I don't think the timing works, but what I, I do think works is New York because New York has young guys. They have Julius Randle. Like they have win now guys. They've got lots of different types of contracts. They have draft capital to move. And I don't, I mean, I was talking, well, no, I don't, I don't want to say that. Never mind. I don't know. Never mind. Doesn't matter. Um, I don't think New York has their guy. I don't think that guy's RJ Barrett. I don't think they have their franchise cornerstone piece. And Tyrese Halliburton can be that guy. And I don't know that, like, I'm not saying that, oh, they would have given up RJ Barrett to get Tyrese Halliburton, but you could have put together a package that could have given them, like, you could have used the Buddy Heald contract and done something that was, like, Julius Randle-based for the money matching, but also could have given you someone young, like Emmanuel Quickly, who is kind of in his sophomore slump, like, taking, like, not to discredit him, but, like, there's, that makes guys more movable. And so I think that that's something that really could have worked out because I think, New York sees the vision with RJ, but I think most people are looking at New York saying RJ is not, he is not your, he's not your Jalen Green. He's not your, your Anthony Edwards or like your guy that you are restarting with. And so uh, I definitely think New York would have been an interesting player in the Halliburton sweepstakes if, if everyone had known he'd been available. I think that's a great one, just out of the fact that New York, it seems like they want a point guard so bad, but can't figure out who it is, right? I mean, when you look at their circumstances, Derrick Rose is getting a lot of the burn here, which is one of those Tom Thibodeau things. Mm Kimball Walker was actually on the trade block around this time, and obviously he was a a big guy that people thought was probably going to be on the move. Um, Another one that I think in that entire mix was just the fact that um, their team – needs a culture setter and i feel like for somebody well i'm just gonna put it blatantly honest like this (laughs) if you're willing to commit yourself to sacramento in terms of turning their culture around i think that stepping into the knicks organization with that kind of energy is something they could definitely definitely use so i'll I'll put it that way and um i mean the team that i thought would have been pretty interesting in terms of them is atlanta i mean i've said this probably before in the past especially because i thought that tyrese would have been a good fit trade wise for them the john collins element of things makes things a little tricky because i don't know if they want john knowing that they have rashawn and they are kind of similar guys i think i think john collins overall is the better player but i still think that would make things a little bit tricky so there's that, but I also think that Atlanta had so much depth that I think Sacramento could kind of just go into their pick of the litter and just figure out guys that they would want to surround De'Aaron Fox with to help play that up tempo basketball that you rent that you mentioned earlier, Lauren. So mm-hmm. I think there's I think that would have been like an interesting element just because they need a backup point guard to save their life. First of all, that's that's number one. Trey's usage is on steroids and beyond. This year, and I didn't even think that was possible with how deep their team is, but they are at it. So I, that was the team that I would have put. Yeah, um, I like but I think both of you guys' teams actually, in terms of desperation, yeah, probably both could have definitely uh, dipped their toe in the water. Yeah. Um, let's go to the CJ McCollum to the New Orleans Pelicans trade. Lauren, initial thoughts on CJ to the Pelicans. This was one of those. This was probably the first trade where when Ryan said, "Good trade." Wrong team. This was like one of the first. <laughs> this was one of the first trades that I looked at. I was like, you know what? He has a point. Like, what's mm-hmm. up with this? I don't understand this. What are, What are your thoughts? So New Orleans and and like I mentioned to you guys earlier when we were talking a little bit of Russell Westbrook, not to go down that train, but I mentioned that New Orleans was I thought the only team desperate enough to try and go make a significant move, and so 
with CJ, like CJ is only 30 years old and he is on the first year of this $100 million extension. But like, again, he's only 30 years old and like they have to do something. And so they had all these movable contracts. They had extra picks to move. They had to do something. Do I think that this is the right move? Like, no, I'm with you guys. I think wrong team. You can't reasonably expect this to now make you like a competitive team in the West. Like, I think that it'll be interesting. You got Zion back, throw him in there. What does it look like? But I don't think anybody's sitting here like New Orleans is next. Like they've got it. (laughs) No, I don't think anybody is saying that. And I love, I can't tell you how much I love CJ. I think he is just, I couldn't say enough good things about him. And so I just, they've cleared the money. They've acquired the picks. Like they've tried to put themselves in a position to just outright sign someone to add without having to give to, to subtract. But where has that gotten them? Everyone, it doesn't matter how much more they offer with like, if they put together some crazy offer, it doesn't matter. Nobody's interested. Nobody's looking at it. Everyone is, I think more people are probably like, when are you going to, people are probably more concerned with them where they're going to be relocating as an organization than when they'll be in the playoffs next. And so I just, I don't think any team, like anybody's, I don't think anybody's signing there. I think maybe at some point you do, but like getting CJ was like a, we got to do something. And it made a lot of sense. Like I I know that Dallas got connected to CJ at one point and like that made sense from, from a Dallas perspective, but it it also was like, eh, doesn't totally move the needle, but I felt like New Orleans made the most sense because again, you have the expiring contracts, you have, um, young guys to move, which depending on, like, I don't know that they're so overly like exciting, but it just, the package wise, it made much more sense than any other team out there that was even that on paper could have been interested in CJ. So I don't want to say it was a good move because again, you're just deferring your problems in New Orleans and hanging on for dear life. And so, but at the same time, like they needed to do something. So like, I guess good job for getting something done, but like, (laughs) I just, uh, it's, it's so bad. And if you really want to hear like a good, like morbid, but realistic view, I would like encourage the low post listening to them talk about New Orleans because they talked about everyone out there that New Orleans was linked to. And they were even linked to Eric Gordon as if trading, making that trade was going to really help your current situation. And I think we all can agree that that was just not going to do a whole lot either. So as far as like who was realistically out there for them to get, I just, I think that this was about as best as they could have done. And they're just eventually, you're just going to have to wait until Zion's out of there. Yeah, Ryan, I mean, you know, your thoughts on this too, man. I mean, the biggest thing for me is like, if your idea was you... Sent Drew Holiday away, and he got a championship. You sent Lonzo Ball away, and he's part of a top three seed in the East. You get back Devontae Graham, and you're like, ooh, he cannot be the lead guard for this team. We got to get a lead guard for this team. And you fell on CJ. It feels like when you look at the barometer, it kind of like moved back, moved back, and then you kind of got this one step forward that somehow still gets you right back in the middle right back to kind of where you started as opposed to being somewhere ahead. I don't necessarily know if this move does anything for them moving forward besides maybe make David Griffin look like he, you know, knows what he's doing in terms of acquiring, you know, big name assets, so to speak. 
But my overall takeaway from it really is that I think David Griffin did something to save his job. I think he needed to get yeah. some kind of name to splash. He needed to get some kind of name that would be like, okay, we have a lead guard that we can play next to to the point Zion experiment. There's something that we can kind of build off with this. We still got B.I. Herb Jones has played way above expectation. That's kind of my overall viewpoint on it. But, like, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so as Jalen alluded to earlier, this was – one of the trades that I said, good trade, wrong destination. This was, you know, a good trade package, but the destination just seemed very, very weird. And here's why it's weird. You are basically banking on Zion Williamson, one, sticking around New Orleans, and two, being healthy. So you are essentially playing the long game with a player that you don't know is going to be there for the long term. C.J. McCollum is a great basketball player. I don't know what this does for New Orleans. And I think if anything, like I mentioned earlier, that 10 seed is either going to be Sacramento or New Orleans. And you look at what New Orleans got in return along with C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance Jr. does not look like he's going to be playing another basketball game this season. And Tony Snell is a good bench player for your team, especially if you want to go into the playoffs. If you need him to hit a couple shots off the bench, you can ask him to do that. The Blazers, on the other hand, you get Josh Hart, young player with a lot of potential. I think it would have been a little bit better. I think I would have been more optimistic with the Blazers if they had kept Nikhil Alexander-Walker because this is a player that you can also build around. Didi Lozada, Thomas Saransky, two second rounders, and then a 2022 protected first rounder. Again, if if Portland is rebuilding, that first rounder is going to be huge. But again, I have to kind of allude to something that Jalen mentioned a couple days ago with the art, with the, uh, the tweet that Woj put out in regards to the Blazers potentially having $60 million in cap space. That was the point where I thought – what in the world are the Blazers actually doing? Because this trade gave me a good idea that the Blazers were going to rebuild. Then you hear $60 million in cap space. Is Portland going to make a move? And I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure what New York, what uh, Portland, should I say, is going to do going forward. Damian Lillard is still there. So are they going to try... One more time to try to attract big name free agents to Portland, or are they actually going to go full rebuild? They have not been able to attract a lot of free agents in Portland, and I think uh, uh, the biggest name that they've been able to acquire was like Wesley Matthews. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's the best way to sum it up. You know what I mean? I mean, one of the biggest things that I, I tried to touch on this on my article that I wrote earlier today, which actually just went live shout out boss thank you boss um <laughs> but one of the the big things that i like touched on was like they're in this for the long haul for real they're really committed to it and i, I had to put this in perspective i checked out damian lillard's like contract situation this is only the first year of his like actual deal and he's eligible for a two-year extension that's worth like over 100 mil at the end of this season <laughs> If you're this committed to retooling around Damian Lillard and he asked and he's been he's made it clear that he's not only willing but committed to signing that deal. 
that would put him at age 36 when that deal is fully expired. Uh, mm, you know, like I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure of anything within the next couple of years is going to indicate that Portland is going to be a real contender in the West, right? I mean, you picked up Robert Covington. You thought that was going to boost your defense. You picked up Larry Nance Jr. You thought he was going to boost your defense. You picked up a new coach because you thought Terry Stotts was the problem. You thought he was just, you know, old voice needed somebody new in the room. Everybody hates Chauncey Billups' guts. (laughs) Like, it just seems like one of those things where it's not really improving. And one of the things I think is so important is, like, if you were going to trade Dame, we're going to talk about this with Bradley Beal in a minute, too. If you were going to trade Dame, the value is as high as it's going to get. Because now, if he ever decides he wants out, he's asking out. So now your options are limited because he's going to give you a list. He's going to tell you where he wants to go, and somebody's going to have to just decide to make it happen. And outside of that, you're walking into a situation where his contract only gets heftier with age. He's going to be a very rich boy at 36. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think the trickiest part about Portland is, and I've said this before, and I think this is kind of important more so in this aspect, and with Bradley too, is it is hard to scold a team for trying to give a guy who's committed to them the world, right? Talking about Damian Lillard, who wants to stay. It's hard to scold the team for not pulling the trigger on him, but then be on Sacramento's head for making a completely opposite move and giving up on Tyrese Halliburton, who everybody felt like had significant upside. So they are at a weird crossroads where I do think that like, yes, I understand you have to appease the superstar that is Damian Lillard. And as long as he wants to be there, you gotta, you gotta, give him the best they can because you're not going to get many Damian Lillards in Portland. But if there was any time to get her done, it was this, it was this trade deadline. And I think now life is just going to be extremely difficult in terms of them making moves. But Hey, look, they said they're going after big name talent. They're going to have money. They're going to be one of the few teams with money this off season next to like the Knicks. And like, I think one or two other squads, We'll see what they do. They're they're an interesting team because they do have assets now. They do have assets for the first time in forever, too. So that's intriguing. Mm-hmm. But let's get to the trade that obviously has got everybody's blood boiling. We've tried to be very uh, patient. You know, the hardened trade headline things. But for this podcast, we know <laughs> what time it is. Christos Porzingis to the Washington Wizards. Spencer Dinwiddie to the Dallas Mavericks. Lauren, you have the inside scoop in ways that you can and cannot share. (laughs) So with that being the case, it only feels right that we start with you in terms of not only your initial thoughts, Mm -hmm. but just some of your like takeaways now that you've kind of seen things get put together. Yeah. So it's going to be difficult for me to keep my thoughts organized here. But um, at first, I my reaction was okay we got Spencer Dinwiddie and then I saw that we sent Porzingis and I was like oh no but then I was like okay well this couldn't this might not be the worst thing and then I saw that we got Bertans back and then I very quickly was like oh no like you just traded one bad contract for another and you lost like your clear number two even though some people didn't think he was a number two whatever it doesn't matter um but now there are like you have a gaping hole in the front court and you're taking on Berton's contract. And so I was waiting for like it to be announced that. De- and I mean, I was refreshing like an 
hour after this waiting for it to get announced that Denny's in there, a pick in like 2035 or like wait, I don't care what it was, but like I was waiting for something more to come out because you're not just taking on the Bertans contract. You're alleviating, alleviating them from the Spencer Dinwiddie failed experiment. And I recognize that Dallas very like wanted to get off the Porzingis contract. I get that. But like, you you're not taking back expiring deals you're not taking back easy to manage assets and so the fact that you could and and Washington is in a desperate situation where they need to try and add like potential or like high ceiling players and like there are question with sport with Porzingis but like they the, the Bertans contract was terrible and the Spencer Dinwiddie experiment failed so like I don't think that this was a bad move like a terrible move for them. You know, you kind of just got to make the most of like what you, what's available. And like, I think that there are still ways for them to move off of this later on if it doesn't work out. And so for Dallas, it's like, it's really the the Bertans contract that I keep coming back to because with Dinwiddie, while he's kind of on a higher volume contract right now, Dallas's rotation is you start Jalen Brunson alongside Luca. And when they come out, you're looking at Frank Nilakina, who I do like, but you can only have such high expectations and Trey Burke. So if you're now substituting where Trey Burke comes in with that offensive punch with Spencer Dinwiddie, I'm pleased about that. Like, I think that that's a decent rotation and a decent group. Um, It doesn't look like they're now going to expect Drogic to come to Dallas uh, after last night's press conference. So like, there's a whole, there's that whole element to it, but like, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because if it's just not happening, well then, you know, whatever. But I, I wasn't too pleased about that because I thought that that would have been, he would have been a good veteran presence. Like he would have, uh, there were just so many intangibles that would have been positives with that. And so I'm a little disappointed that that's not happening anymore. Um, I hope Spencer is, you know, like that scoring punch off the bench. I know this hasn't really been the best season for him. Uh, and this year is another year that we have, we haven't really had a whole lot of like consistent shooters. And so with Bertans, the while the the contract is what it is and I feel that way about it I need him to be on the floor with Luca at certain times where there's so much gravity on Luca and he just has all the space in the world to just knock down threes and like if he's not knocking like if he's knocking them down it will be like all right you know it's fine for now and like we can get by with it but like that's just another problem that you're gonna have to address later on so like I, I can understand them breaking up the contract. I get the logic behind that. Like, it's not the first time we've seen a move like that. But the thing that I keep coming back to, and like, this is me again, trying to spin it positively. And um, my friend Tim Cato wrote a great article for The Athletic on it. And he said that basically how many times, like since you got Porzingis, it's been three years. And have you really truly taken steps forward as a team? And I think- the answer is no. And so how much longer were while his contract was going to get more and more from year to year, could you continue to rinse, wash and repeat this same formula? And like, yeah, the West is kind of op- is pretty open this year. And like Luca's having a great year. He's playing out of his mind. But like, if you have the opportunity to move off of this and reshuffle the deck and also now you're like, there's this urgency, not urgency, but like pressure to get Luca this number two you now can get anyone. It can be a big, it can be this, it can be this. And like, do you have assets to get that done? It's very, it's going to be very difficult, but this now gives them more flexibility with movable contracts. 
And they just, they can try, it's much easier to move these than it is to move the Porzingis contract. And if Porzingis had gotten hurt again, they wouldn't have, like, it would have been even worse than what they got, what than the, what they did get, which is kind of hard to imagine. And I don't want to speak poorly on, on the new players, but like, there are a lot of risk that, there's a lot of risk that Dallas is taking on uh, in the return that they got. And so I'm trying to be positive in how Spencer Dinwiddie will contribute to, to um, the guard depth chart and how that will help us, especially given the fact that Porzingis on the floor versus Porzingis off the floor hasn't really affected their record uh, and their ability to win games. And then last night, I just want to end on this last night, at the game, I was very curious to how we were going to match up against the Clippers because obviously the Clippers don't have everyone, but they do have Norman Powell, but, or they have Norman Powell in there. They have Robert Covington, and I wanted to see what Dallas looked like going up against a team that was just going to use a lot of wings and a team that does a really good job of, um, what's the right word? like stabilizing and kind of offsetting Jalen Brunson and what he brings. Like they do a fantastic job of guarding Jalen Brunson, which puts a lot more on Luca's shoulders and makes things difficult. So I wanted to see what lineups we were going to throw out there to try and like handle that. And Marquise Chris ended up getting ruled out for the rest of the game very early on in the night, which again, you only have so many players to work with in your front court. And so like what, again more and more challenges and so there were times that we had Josh Green at the four kind of using him in this Terrence Mann Bruce Brown type role which I think is something that we'll continue to see and he played pretty well in that role um and so I liked that I think that there will be times uh, on certain matchups where you see Dorian Finney-Smith playing the five potentially um kind of similar to what the Clippers might do with Robert Covington playing the five like just having this five out versatile group Uh, And just trying to get creative there because Dallas is going to have to get creative. I don't really know how far you can actually take this in the playoffs, especially on, I mean, Lucas, again, Lucas having a great year, but like the expectation needs to be realistic. And I think they're looking at this move as we have to take a step back this year in order to be able to take the necessary significant steps forward in the future, because the current timeline that we were on right now we were not going to get there with this Porzingis situation and contract hanging on their shoulders. That's my understanding of the situation. And on top of that, they have their draft pick. And there was one other, th- oh, the other, the last thing that I was going to say was I was pleased to see that Nico and this new front office nucleus was not afraid to make a big move. And while everyone and their brother is saying that this is a bad move, including myself for Dallas, they like, you needed to change it up and you needed to be able to make a significant change. And like, it's not flashy. It's not exciting, but you have to reset to kind of move forward. And I think that they've, the hardest part is over and they have to start going down that path. So I want to ask you a question that has to do more with the Spencer Dinwiddie acquisition more so mm-hmm. than the sending Christoph Porzingis out part. And mm-hmm. the, the question that came to me instantly was, is was this a recovery trade? And the reason why I say that was because I think we might have talked about this because we had you on for the uh, Wheel of Fandom series stuff when we talked about Dallas in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And de- obviously, Spencer Dinwiddie was one of those guys that was brought up as a potential suitor for you guys via free agency. Now, obviously, things changed gears. He ended up yeah. doing a signing trade that sent him to Washington. And I just wonder if part of this was that was our guy to begin with, getting another, getting a secondary ball handler next to Luca. That's a bit of a step up from Jalen Brunson is what you would be getting, I guess, in theory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the best version of getting Spencer Dinwiddie, and it also tackles the 
issue of the locker room dynamics between Luka Doncic and the uh, and Kristaps Porzingis and all of this. Is there any element of like revisionist history that you think was incorporated in making such an acquisition? Because coming into this season, it seemed like you mentioned it briefly. Mm-hmm. Goran Dragic seemed like the dude. It yeah. seemed like their initial thought process was we're going to bank on him not wanting to play for Toronto. Toronto will buy him out. Mm-hmm. Toronto says we're not giving anybody up for free. We know what you're doing. We're going to be patient. You send him to San Antonio. San Antonio's not nearly as committed as Toronto is for trying to get some kind of legitimate value for him. Mm-hmm. And what they did do in terms of that trade was get the value they were looking for, and it doesn't involve Goron. Right. He's a guy who's projected to be on the buyout market when the time comes, and he will probably be a highly coveted name amongst that group. Dallas is one of those teams that was kind of waiting for this opportunity, and basically everything aligned itself Mm-hmm. And they chose to lean with Spencer. Yeah. What do you think should have been done different, differently, if at all? Do you think that Spencer fits your team better? Where are your thoughts on that dynamic of the Spencer Dinwiddie versus Goran Dragic dynamic? Because I feel as though they had both routes available and they chose one. Yeah, so... I think it's interesting because obviously very different types of players. And I, I think uh, Spencer gives you more of an offensive punch because of his ability to create with his size more so than someone like Drogic. But Drogic has playoff experience. He has the relationship with Luca. He has the relationship with uh, Coach Igor. Like he, they, it's just a completely different trade-off. And so to me, it comes down to, um, would you rather have Goron and have kept Porzingis or would you rather have moved off of Porzingis and brought on Dinwiddie? And so to me, that's kind of what it comes back to. And I'm sad that it seems like Drogic will not be on this roster uh, after he hits the buyout market. Like that makes me sad. But again, with Spencer Dinwiddie, like going into this year, the main question for Dallas was they need a secondary playmaker to play next to Luca. Like they don't have that guy. And as the season went on and Jalen Brunson kind of stepped into that role, it was like, maybe we do have that guy. And he has earned that starting spot. He's earned the 80 plus million dollar extension that he is going to get. And Dallas, I don't think for anyone wondering what Dallas is going to do with Spencer Dinwiddie, Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic. I think best case scenario is they're expecting Spencer Dinwiddie to buy into this going back to his six man of the year uh, kind of campaign that he had year after year when he was in Brooklyn. And if that's a realistic expectation is an entirely different conversation. If he's going to be content with that role questions there for sure. But Jalen Brunson and Luca have incredible chemistry. Jalen like does everything that you need someone to do next to Luca. He's improved as an outside shooter. Like he, that spot is his and he deserves it. And so whether Spencer Dinwiddie can buy into the six man role or not, will also determine, you know, if he's a part of the long-term vision or if he's a part of a team that's going to try to be competitive in the playoffs year after year. And if he's not happy with that role, then, you know, I don't expect him to be on the team very long because, again, Jalen Brunson has bought into the culture. He's blew up by the staff, the front office, the team, everybody. So that spot is Jalen Brunson's. Uh, I'm happy to have Dinwiddie because, again, he's the type of guy that can just – he can score. And so – while he's having a down year, I think he'll be able to to do well on this team, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, but I don't like Nico was made available 
after the game last night when the trade was finally official made official throughout the game he he came in and he was asked about you know the the roster the buyout market all that and he said i believe the roster is set which is why we do not think drogic will be coming to dallas um but then he was asked what he likes about bertans and dinwiddie and he said that they both give they provide depth and they provide flexibility and so flexibility means disposable so <laughs> That's just the truth. So I don't know how long they're going to be around. I don't know that it's going to be a super quick turnover. If Dinwiddie comes in, he's providing that scoring punch and like has found his little niche, then yeah, that I, you know, that can be just fine. And then they can keep rolling him out there and like see what they can do with him, even at the the high dollar amount that he's making. But he's also somebody that like if they need to switch it up and like go out and try to make that move for buddy healed or go in and just try to switch it up and try to get somebody else in there they're not going to be afraid to do that and so i'm very very much looking forward to the draft this year because again lots of options out there and dallas it's weird because they have a lot of tough contracts that they're going to need to move at some point and not a lot of draft assets to do them but literally everyone out there is any star out there that becomes available, Dallas is going to be in the running and there are going to be lots of people that want to play with Luka Doncic. So when he's at that all-star weekend, I will be following along very closely to see who he's talking to, you know, all those little things because Luka, while he complains to the refs a lot, I think most of the guys enjoy him and like playing, well, one, like playing with him, but also respect him as a player and would be open to playing with him. So, um, I like the aspect of knowing that anyone's on the table and that now that you're off of this Porzingis contract, anyone that comes available, you're going to be trying to get them because Luca can fit with anyone. And so, uh, and I do believe that. So, so yeah, I think it's, they're in an interesting place now, uh, but the options in front of them are endless right now. Whereas before they weren't. Ryan, Thoughts on the Dallas aspect of this in terms of, you know, just the Dinwiddie acquisition. And give your thoughts. Let's start to slowly but surely segue our way into the Christoph Porzingis element in terms of what he will do for the Wizards. And, of course, there's no way we can talk about the Wizards without talking about Bradley Beal. The free Bradley Beal train has – it feels like it's all but taken off on the station at this point. If you're not on it, you're somewhere near it. You're somewhere on the (laughs) – you're somewhere on a bus stop trying to get to the train. You're somewhere in the mix. You know what I mean? in terms of viewing this Washington Wizards team as a squad on the brink of blowing up. So, you know, like I said, you know, thoughts on the thoughts on the Dinwiddie acquisition, of course, kind of help us transition towards the, uh, the Wizards a little bit. Somewhere Ian is somewhere. Ian is just saying free Brad, free Bradley Beal. Um, okay. So let's, let's kind of look at the Dallas side first, because I think, the Bertans acquisition and the Dinwiddie acquisitions. Wow, this th- <laughs> I saw this and I couldn't believe it. So, first of all, I was shocked that uh, Dallas was was going to take on both their contracts because Bertans was five years, eighty million, and Dinwiddie just got a big contract with the Wizards as well. I'm not sure what this will officially mean. For Jalen Brunson, I I I, hold, I I agree with Lauren because Jalen Brunson has deserved to start in that starting lineup next to Luka Doncic, and I think the vision for the Dallas Mavericks would be for Spencer Dinwiddie to come off the bench as six, as the sixth man. Davis Bertans, I'm not sure where he's going to fit on this team because he had the one great year where 
the Washington Wizards were in the bubble, and he was the second leading scorer behind Bradley Beal, and he was a flamethrower from three. The past two seasons, he has not replicated that offensive success. So maybe he can find his footing in Dallas. But also, alluding to Lauren's point, that front court in Dallas has a gaping hole in it because Chris Stapp's Porzingis is gone. So the idea that you can possibly go with a small lineup where Dorian Finney-Smith plays the five is a huge possibility. Um, looking at the Wizards aspect of it, the only thing that you can hope for as a Wizards fan is if Chris Stapp's Porzingis looks like the Chris Stapp's Porzingis in New York because this is not the team that looked as good as they did 11 games into the season when they were atop the Eastern Conference. I told Jalen this. I said, make sure you take a screenshot of the standings because all three of your teams, if the season ended today, would make the playoffs, and two of them are out of the running almost completely, one of them being the Wizards. The Wizards, I don't know what they're doing. I I didn't know what either team was doing in this trade. But when you look at what the Wizards have to work with, I feel like they they get Porzingis, they pair him up with Kuzma. Was this the incentive to keep Bradley Beal? Because I'm not sure if this was it. I'm not sure. I I'm not sure if this was enough for Bradley Beal to want to stay in Washington. Um, but then you know you you factor that with uh, a trade that actually doesn't involve the Dallas Mavericks. It's more Montrezl Harrell to the Charlotte Hornets for Ish Smith and Vernon Carey. Um, why would you get rid of Montrez Harrell? Was that another? Was that was that another reason to, you know, maybe satisfy Bradley Beal in the staying? I that one didn't make sense either because you gave Charlotte a positional need, a center, and Jalen had been harping on the point where he doesn't want Plumlee starting at center for <laughs> the Charlotte Hornets, and now. You get Montrezl Harrell and, you know, Ish Smith, third string point guard for the Charlotte Hornets. He's been bouncing around the league basically his entire career. He's back with Washington for his second stint. Vernon Carey, I kind of feel bad for him in a sense because he did not he did not get a lot of time to shine in, in Charlotte because that front court was crowded. And now it's more crowded because you have uh, Montrezl Harrell who – is going to be most likely coming off the bench for this team, but he's going to give you some significant minutes coming off the bench for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, but just going back to the Wizards, again, I don't understand this deal at all because, again, if this was the point that you wanted to satisfy Bradley Beal, you failed miserably. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to put it. I mean, he's up for he's up for a player option this offseason. Otherwise, he can become an un- unrestricted free agent right out the box. You have Christoph Porzingis, who's 26 years old. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, who's been solid this year as well on the younger end. Rui Hachimura hasn't played for most of the season, but has been I when he's been in the game. Thomas Bryant wasn't being able to really get the kind of burn that uh, – some may have hoped for coming off of the, uh, the ACL injury, considering Daniel Gafford has played so well and obviously Trez was on the team. Everything indicates that they're almost okay with letting, letting – there's, there's only one of two elements you can, you can factor in here. Either they think 
that this is enough to bring Bradley back, right? They, they're going to dangle the carrot that they can offer him more money than anybody else and go off of his word that he doesn't want to leave, which is a tricky thing nowadays because James Harden didn't want to leave either. And we've already gotten past that. Or they've prepared themselves mentally for the, for the idea that Bradley's going to leave. The James Harden domino falling made it where they did not have the best potential trade package available to get a young asset to build around in the trade market. And so now they have to basically settle to a certain extent, right, for Christoph Porzingis, also knowing in the background they're going to end up watching their guy walk away. There's a, there's only one of two paths they can go. So I, I just, I think it's all tricky. I think the biggest thing for me when it comes to the Wizards is, first of all, Ryan, great point when, when it comes to Montrose Harrell. The minute I saw that Montrose Harrell was traded to the Hornets, I said, oh, they, they're selling. I'm screaming to my girlfriend the whole time. I'm like, Washington Wizards are selling right now. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, they're, they're, they're just giving away everybody. She's like, but what did they get back? I was like, I don't know. You know, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. They're like, but you're like, so they didn't get anything in the trade. There's nothing on the trade that says they got a player back. I was like, yeah, they did. But did they though? That, did they? She's like, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm saying that's, that's the million dollar question. Now, now we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. All of that to say, there's no real way to come out of this from the Wizards camp and say you really did anything that's going to move the needle for you if it's under the expectation that Bradley Beal is going to be a part of this team because I don't see anything more than lateral moves. I think you can give them a B for getting off of like veteran contracts in a season where that's essentially lost when you talk about the fact that Bradley Beal is going to be injured for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they brought back anything super crazy. I think Kristaps is solid. But again, I don't think they brought back anything super crazy that's like, oh, this will be the guy that makes Bradley stay. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then what actually did you do? You know? So, um, Lauren, any final thoughts on this trade? Any, you know, perspective from, again, the Dallas side or the Wizards side in terms of just, you know, any final takeaways? Yeah. So I'll just add real quick and like, with Porzingis, so I, I do really like Porzingis, and he was a great face to have around. And he, like, once Rick Carlisle left, he was very pleasant to have around. And he was, his relationship with Luca was not like, you know, what a lot of people wanted it to be just for, from an entertainment perspective. Like, they, he was a good, a good teammate, and a lot of people liked him. But the, the question was always, can we get the New York version of Kristaps Porzingis? He's good, but he's good when he's available and he's not available all that often. And so that's what I worry about for Washington because Porzingis, like he, when you give him the looks and you're kind of running your offense through him, like he can be pretty, pretty, pretty dangerous, but it's when he's available. Are you really going to be doing that when you have Bradley Beal? I don't know. And so Zach Lowe also They also did, or actually no, Sean Marks. It was Sean Marks who discussed a scenario where Bradley Beal uh, um, takes some sort of short-term deal with Washington, like a short-term, he either, I don't know if he has a player option, I can't quite remember. He either opts in or he takes like a one-year version of the max and then tells them that he has to trade him to these teams, but that because he's opted in or he signed this one-year deal, they'll at least get something back. And then he moves on to where he wants to go and then signs his max with that team. And in that scenario, he's only giving up 10, like 10 ish million dollars than what he would have, uh, 
10 ish million less than what he would have received if he had signed the full uh, years and dollar amount max extension to stay in Washington. And I think that that's a really interesting and really likely scenario because this Washington situation, I just don't know like that they can reasonably expect this to turn into a lot for them. And I think Porzingis like kind of almost gives them like, again, I like him and I've seen kind of what he can do when Luca hasn't been available and he's been the number one guy out there. And so in the event that Brad does leave, like you still kind of do have Porzingis. And like, if he becomes your number one, can you get an 85 or 80% version of what you got in port in, in New York. And like, does somebody then kind of want to come play with that? And can you get a draft, a, a, dra- a guy in the draft that wants to play with that? And so I think it kind of gives them a little bit of, which I know people that probably don't follow Dallas are like, you're a crazy woman, like Porzingis is washed and that's fine. But like, I do think that there are some people that believe that if you have Porzingis as your number one option in the event that Bradley has left and has netted you a young player to restart with that's not a terrible kind of recovery package to be working with and so that's really all that i i think about it yeah i definitely agree um we're coming towards the bottom uh the back half of the podcast at this point and um really the last thing that we have on the docket is winners and losers i want to try to preface this section um we're each going to name one team for winners one team for losers preface this section by trying to not touch on the teams that we've already discussed in terms of the trade packages Okay. Millions of other trades that obviously took place um, on that day, as well as some trades that didn't happen that could indicate whether or not a team was a winner or a loser as well. So, uh, Ryan, I'll start with you in terms of a winner that you had at the trade deadline. I think for me, uh, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I'm going to go ahead and say Charlotte's a winner. Um, when you get Montrose Harrell and you trade him away for a lot less than I thought he was going to be worth, um, that's that's a steal. And you know, you get Montrose Harrell, he's a guy who can put up 20 and 8 off the bench, a guy who can make an instant impact on your team, and he fills a positional need. Uh, Charlotte's been looking for a center for almost two years, and it seems like with one move, they pretty much filled that they pretty much uh filled the the hole in the center department. So that's definitely a winner for me. Okay. Lauren, how about you? Um, in terms of, in terms of teams that we haven't, that we haven't talked about, um, for me, a winner is Phoenix. Uh, they moved off of Jalen Smith and were able to bring in Aaron Holiday and Tory Craig, who I think are both solid pieces to bring in. They don't, they're not necessarily like significant needle movers, but I think at some point they're going to have to move off of that campaign contract and having someone like Aaron Holiday just kind of gives them more flexibility to do that. And the fact that you were able to bring in Tory Craig, who's going to provide you quality minutes in the playoffs in in exchange for Jalen Smith, someone that they've been trying to move off, I think was underrated and, and a solid move. Uh, I think there were lots of, I think there were a couple of winners that probably uh, more so because of, so I, I'm just going to say this. I think Memphis is a winner because they did nothing and Dallas arguably took a step back, which is going to hurt them come playoff time. Golden State, if Draymond is like not a hundred percent healthy, like where does that put them in the playoffs? I don't want to count out Steph, but like Draymond is a big piece of that formula. So like, how does that help them? And so then I think Memphis is really, and Utah, I think Utah is also another kind of like bandaid, bandaid, bandaid. I think that is just waiting to implode. So if I'm Memphis, I'm like Dallas lost their number two. 
Phoenix is really all we have to worry about. So I think there's an argument that Memphis was a winner here uh, as a result of what happened in the Western Conference at the trade deadline. I think that's a really solid one. Memphis is a big one because sometimes there's the idea. I mentioned this with uh, with the Lakers in reverse. There's that idea of standing pat and knowing there was things out there that needed to get done. And there's the idea for Memphis in terms of like you're the one walking around with all the trade assets, right? You're the you're the team with all the crazy depth. You're the guy. You're the team with uh, the guy in John Morant getting all the Derrick Rose comparisons, which could be good or bad depending on how you view it. Because again, Derrick Rose at his peak. Elite level player was an MVP, but also had three years of what that peak level was, which I've I've posed the question in the past, whether or not that kind of comparison makes Memphis Grizzlies fans think twice about a slow build and think more about going all in while you have John Morant at, you know, his apex right now. So the fact that they kind of made this decision, they're going to build the way they have been continue to go steady with the success that they've already reaped the benefits of and not do anything too drastic. I think it's huge. Zaire Williams has paid out for them. I think a lot of people thought that them moving up to get him in the draft was a little sketchy, especially because he didn't get to do a whole lot for Sanford. That wasn't really his fault, but you know, and he's been able to crack the rotation and start in a lot of situations as well and not be a net negative. So they didn't have anything necessarily they needed to do that was super crazy. And I'm glad that they didn't get in their own head and do anything that would have you know, set them back. So I agree with that 110%. The team I'm going to go with is, uh, shout out my guy TV, the Toronto Raptors. This is a bittersweet pick for me out of the fact that they got Thaddeus Young. And as a Bulls fan, that hurts close to heart because I really didn't want to lose him. I, I love DeMar DeRozan. I'll do the trade 10 out, of 10 out of 10 times again if we get DeMar and we get DeMar in this capacity. But Getting that young, man, that's such a smart, intellectual player that can play the, the the four, play some small ball five for them. It embraces their philosophy still of just being a smaller team that plays extremely physical. And he's going to be another veteran pro, uh, uh, like presence for them on a team that is still like mad young, despite the fact that everybody's trying to like pencil them as being an older squad. I understand they kind of sped their timeline up with that championship, but this team at its roots is still a really young squad. So getting another guy like that young on that team, I think is huge. And I mean, they're right in the thick of the playoff picture. So, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that he's going to get some serious burn or at least some, some reliable burn in moments where they're going to need somebody to kind of help them um, in the front court area. So I'm going to go with Toronto. Um, Ryan, I'll start with you. Your loser from the deadline, um, a team again that we haven't discussed. I feel like this one, is kind of obvious the Lakers we've heard for (laughs) almost a month about all of the moves that they were supposedly going to make and then uh nothing and look it it comes at no surprise at this point they didn't have a lot of trade capital um you know you have THT you have Kendrick Nunn who hasn't played a game for the Lakers at all this season uh you have a 2027 first round pick there was the idea of talking about moving Russell Westbrook's contract and it was just a matter of who was going to pick that one up. And then they're a loser also because of the trades that they passed on. And most of the trades that they passed on made sense, especially the one with Houston where you swapped Westbrook with John Wall, but then you also throw in Christian Wood on that in that deal as well and Taylor Horton Tucker and a first-round pick uh, courtesy of Houston. That was a trade that I think could have been really beneficial then you also factor in another trade that I saw where the New York Knicks were also involved and the Toronto Raptors. 
The Knicks would get Goran Dragic and picks. The Lakers would get Alec Burks and Cam Reddish. And the Toronto Raptors would the, the Raptors would get Taylor Horton Tucker and a first round pick. Those were two viable trade options that I feel like could have satisfied Laker fans um, just because you were trying to see what you can get with your trade assets. Now the Lakers have to rely on the buyout market, which does not look great right now. So the Lakers are losers. Lauren, in, in this how about trade. you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would agree that the Lakers are, are the most obvious one um, in the spirit of you know teams that we haven't talked about and, and keeping it different. I'm going to say again, Utah and also Atlanta. I think they're both in situations where they're kind of slapping band-aids on significant underlying issues. And if they do not trend in the right direction up the standings uh, over the rest of the season and potentially have poor playoff performances, I think those underlying issues are going to become very apparent. And the return that they're going to get on some of these assets are going to be quite disappointing. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I got to go, I got to kind of agree with Atlanta in terms of the fact that like the the slapping band-aids on and trying to like this, this belief system aspect of things is really tough. Utah, I agree too, is really weird because with them, they were in so many talks for like Harrison Barnes, who would have been a really high upside pickup for them, or even Mm -hmm. Jeremy Grant. And neither one of those guys got moved, which is interesting in its own right, um, considering, you know, they both were really high commodities I, the one i'm gonna go with ryan you know i you know i hate but love to do this to you at the same time the new york knicks not doing anything is a roughie like that's just one of those where it's like when you got so many guys on the trade block you got all this bad blood brewing up in the locker room and everything else taking place the the one thing that could really rejuvenate a squad is some moves i do also think that the knicks have a chance to kind of bounce back in a way after the all-star break in its own in its own way of being Okay, now everybody's safe, right? Nobody's on eggshells anymore. Everybody's in the circumstance. This is a squad we have, and we got to make the best of it. Maybe they take that and embrace that. Maybe they don't. But I think that they definitely could have used a really interesting shakeup. And I mean, just off the fact that, look, they were in talks for Russell Westbrook. They were in talks for De'Aaron Fox. Like, that was a thing. So for teams like that, for, for a team like the Knicks to not have gotten anything done, yeah, man, that's 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 one of those where the city's not going to be too happy about that one. <laughs> that I, I don't know how many Knicks fans are feeling too hot coming out of the trade deadline. But with that, guys, long podcast, but all the content is uh, necessary in order to really dive into what has been a crazy NBA trade deadline. This is the part in the podcast where we throw it over to the guest to pretty much, Lauren, this is a space, especially because we haven't talked to you in forever. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but is your chance to uh, give any closing remarks, whether it's something about what we've discussed today, whether mm-hmm. it's about work that you have coming up, things that you're going to be doing. You are coming off the birthday, so obviously that's lit <laughs> in its own right. So the, the floor really is yours. Yeah. Well, first, thank you guys so much again for having me back. You guys know I love chatting with you. Um, and for anyone that uh, wants to come talk about Dallas Mavericks or their team or any team. I'm always open to that. I love trade scenarios. I know it's not trade season anymore, but it'll be the off season before we know it. So I'm always looking to come talk to new people. So you can follow me on Twitter at the Lauren gun. Uh, that's gun with two ends. And again, I'm always up to chat with anyone. Um, and yeah, I, I got a couple of things in the works that I'm still kind of, you know, gotten, keeping an eye on just, we'll see. 
But if, you know, if those things start to come to fruition, you'll see them. And for anyone that, that doesn't follow me, if you want to follow me, then you'll you'll know what I'm talking about very quickly. So we'll see kind of kind of waiting on that one is still up in the air. But thank you guys once again for having me. Yeah, of course. Ryan, solid podcast as always, my compadre. These are one of those events. We have a whole bunch coming up for All-Star Weekend. We have a lot coming up on Monday too, bro. You got to keep trying real hard to plug that, my guy, because Monday is Valentine's Day, but the HTP got to take over. I'm sorry. We got a couple of things coming out on the 14th that's going to be Really huge. Stay tuned for that. But Ryan, again, very long podcast, man. Get us about it here. We want to thank our guest again, Lauren Gunn, for coming on to the podcast. Very grateful we got to catch up with her and talk some hoops. Uh, Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who is a team that you think was a winner and a loser at the trade deadline? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast, of course. Make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.